Thank you, Martin. So, so far we have looked at the introduction to this amazing letter to the church in Colossae. And last week we've heard one of the most amazing uh, descriptions of Jesus. And we've heard how Jesus is Lord and Jesus is enough. And Paul moves on now from his introduction in the book, from his setting up of his arguments about Jesus, and now he really starts to introduce himself and something of his story and the reason why he's wanting to relate to the church there, to give us some clues about what is going to come. And so we're going to start in verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And that's just half the passage that we're trying to cover today. Yet again, we see another change of gear from Paul. Remember that these people receiving this letter don't actually know him personally. So now he's not just uh, embarking on a description of who he is. He's not talking about Jesus as he was last week. But he's beginning to seek to persuade them as to why they should listen to him. He's seeking to uh, give his own credentials why they should take on board what he's saying. Remember, there's been some uh, dodgy teachers in the area. There's all sorts of weird ideas floating around in the local church. And and this is Paul's beginning to uh, really make a pitch why his message really is the absolute truth for them. He's already described himself as a servant of Christ in verse 7, a servant of the gospel in verse 23, but now he calls himself a servant of the church. Serving Christ, teaching the word, means he serves the church. And that's quite an interesting sort of triangle almost. If we serve Christ, if we teach the word, if we share the good news, we will be serving the church. All those things work together. But Paul starts this uh, with verse 24, which is such a, uh, a wordy beginning to this section, quite a confusing sentence really, about filling up in his flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That almost sounds like it could be some sort of a riddle because of the way the words work. We know what he's not saying quite clearly. What he's not saying is that uh, Paul doesn't think in any way uh, his suffering is adding something to what Jesus actually did on the cross. He's not adding to the work of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, that meant the work was completely and totally complete. He didn't leave a little bit of suffering behind for Paul to complete his work. That's not what he means. What it's most likely that he means is that he himself is suffering 
Remember, he's in prison. He's faced all sorts of difficulty in order that this good news, this work of Jesus, can reach more people than it ever did through Jesus himself at the time. So what's lacking isn't the depth of what Jesus did on the cross, because he did everything that we need. But what Paul is filling up, what has been lacking, is that that message hasn't yet got out to everyone. And it certainly hasn't got out fully to the non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles. So in his desire to spread this good news even wider so that more people can join in and experience it, Paul has been imprisoned as he is now. He's writing this from prison. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been flogged within an inch of his life by the authorities five times. And the list goes on. So Paul might not be able to visit them in person He might not know them personally, but even from a distance, it's like he's suffering on their behalf because he's gone through all of this suffering in his own life, all of this opposition, all of this difficulty, so that people like them might know the good news of Jesus. And I think that's a really interesting sort of concept to to kick off with, really, in in a Western culture. Uh, in a a, a period of relative calm and, and comfort, really, where opposition and hardship are almost seen as like some sort of failure of faith, kind of like, how how could God let this happen to me? Whereas for Paul, it feels like his the opposition he faced has become like a badge of honor to him. It's a proof of how genuine he is. It's part of his testimony. Look at what I've been through. For you, for people like you. And he goes on in verse 25 to talk about how he's received a commission from God to continue to declare the good news to people. And this, uh, this commission, this calling that he's got from God, it's not just to give them a few sort of slaps on the back in a letter to give them a sort of rosy little pep talk. But it's to present the word of God. In all of its fullness. In all of its fullness. That's one reason why we like uh, systematically working through books of the Bible at least a couple of times a year in this church because it's quite easy to pick out the bits of uh, the Word of God that we actually quite like hearing. But when you submit yourself to working through um, a book or a stage of the history of Israel or whatever it is, you're actually submitting yourself to hearing the Word of God in all of its fullness, even the bits that are more of a struggle. Verse 26 is absolute dynamite for them. Remember, we're talking about a city which is in modern-day Turkey. And what Paul is saying is that this mystery, this special revelation of God, which for so long has been held within the Jewish faith, a special blessing for the Jews, well, it's now broken out, and it's been made known to people who are not Jewish, people like them. But for us reading this letter now... That doesn't have the same impact because we've got 2,000 years of Christian history behind us. Sometimes we can take for granted that this faith, this blessing, this special relationship, this covenant with God wasn't always open in the same way to people like us. But now it's no longer limited. It is open to all 
who put their faith in Jesus. What was once a mystery has now been disclosed, has now been revealed. And remember, he's making a massive point here because some of these false teachers are saying, oh, well, there's some extra knowledge that you need to get. There's some, there's some special knowledge. There are some, some mysteries that only the chosen few can understand. And Paul is saying, no, God has made known the glorious riches of this mystery to you already. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of of glory. This is one of the absolute mountaintops of the New Testament. The promise to us as believers that we will know Christ in us and have a hope of glory because he's the hope of glory. There's a future hope and a present reality to our faith. The word glory there is quite interesting because it, it, it really means the bright shining of God's presence. The bright shining of God's presence. In Exodus 34, Moses speaks with God and then his face shines. In Matthew 28, there is an angel that's in the garden after the resurrection and it shines brightly. The glory of God, the bright shining of God's presence is our hope. There's a lot of places in the Bible where Paul says that we are in Christ, but now he seems to be saying that Christ is in us. And he is, by the Holy Spirit, bringing a revelation of Jesus. We can dare to say that we actually know Jesus, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus. The God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, Through the Holy Spirit, we can actually say, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So these false teachers with their hope of uh, some secret knowledge, well, they've got nothing on the actual truth. There's no secret that's better than what you already know. The mystery has been revealed and we can experience Christ in us and a hope of glory. So whatever we're facing, whatever the situation is, as a believer, we have Christ in us and a hope of glory. And sort of just focusing on this is my first kind of major uh, take-home, really, uh, for today. And I actually want to set you a little bit of homework, if you don't mind. I hope that's not too patronizing, but I am actually setting you some homework now. Every morning... For the next week, spend some time reflecting on those words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the places you go and the people you meet and the situations that arise in your home, in your office, in your place of education, in your place of leisure, when you're watching the rugby, when you're at the bus stop, what does it mean at that point for you and for the people you encounter that Christ is in you, the hope of glory? How can we let that one truth affect both our attitudes and our actions this week? What confidence and encouragement will it bring to us? What will our world look like if our response to any situation or any challenge is based on the fact that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory? 
I feel pretty um, not my usual 100% this morning. I feel quite uh, jaded emotionally. On um, last Sunday, uh, we found out that uh, the lady who lived next door to us on the co-joined house, she was elderly in her late 80s, uh, we found out that um, she died. So that was quite sad for us as a family because we'd got to know her quite well. Then uh, I came to the big questions evening on Wednesday evening, and it's nice to see some faces uh, from there. And I was speaking on why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow bad things to happen? And we woke up on the, uh, the Thursday morning to find that one of the, uh, the dads who drops their children off at the school lives literally just across the road from us, see them every day, sometimes a couple of times a day, had unexpectedly died in the night with three children, including one in my joy's year. Such a sad situation, such an outpouring of grief right the way through the school. What does, this, what does a verse like this mean when we face such tragedy around us? For our ability to respond to the people in question, perhaps because of our own fears that it sort of brings up as you consider a local family without a dad and you make that reflection on your own situation. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What difference to the people around us who are hurting will it make that we have Christ in us? How important is it that we share the hope of glory with people because we don't know how long we're going to have to share it with them? And it was quite interesting because uh, I met the, uh, the daughter of my neighbour and, uh, and she said that the whole family had really taken comfort from a card that my children had produced uh, for my neighbour. And we remembered back, and Joy had actually written in it uh, a message to her a couple of weeks ago when we knew she wasn't well. And she said something along the lines of, we really pray that you will know Jesus near you. And uh, that was on the mantelpiece in the home when the rest of the family went to respond. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's for us, for our walk, for our strength, but it's also for the people around us as we can reflect something of him. That's your first piece of homework. So from verses 28 to 29, we see uh, Paul's desire is for every believer to grow into full maturity in Christ. He says he will proclaim Christ. If we could go to the next slide, that is to speak out and to preach the good news, to inspire people. He says he'll also admonish, which means to warn or to counsel against, and also to teach, which is uh, instruction, explanation in the truth, providing a bedrock of understanding. And it's interesting because I think these three are a really powerful and well-balanced combination for a church community. and Because uh, the danger is, if, if we just teach, then we gain a lot of knowledge. But what's it actually for? If we just sort of proclaim and inspire, then we all get full of, sort of energized to do stuff. But then when bad times come and the emotions change, 
What do we have to fall back on? There can be an immaturity to it and disappointment sets in. Or if we just warn people, then we can sound like a little bit of a the end is nigh sort of naysayer and start sounding quite judgmental because we're not sounding like we've got a lot of good news. We're just warning against all the bad news. But the three in balance, inspiration, instruction and warning, are how we become mature in our faith, both as individuals and within our community. The false teachers were saying that there's this hidden knowledge for a special few, but Paul is saying it's for everyone. If you look at that verse, he says, I proclaim, admonish, and teach everyone so that I might present everyone. There's no inner circle. There's no special level to attain. This is for each and every one of us. And then in verse 29, he says that he strenuously contends or struggles with all of his energy. And the word there he uses where he says that he strenuously contends is the word from which we get our word agony. He's saying, I'm agonizing over you, for you. He's totally and utterly sold out for this mission that God has given him. He's agonizing over it. And that challenges and provokes us in a Western culture with all our opportunities and our possessions and our leisure interests and all of the things going on in life. How sold out are we for this faith that we profess? How sold out are we for the mission that God has given us? I find that hugely challenging and provoking in a good way. It's almost a whole nother talk on its own. But given it's already ten past, I am going to move on to chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Just a point of reference for those in Laodicea, that's the neighbouring town about 11 miles away. So think of what Telford is to Shrewsbury and he's speaking in to the local region. He says again, I'm contending for you. I'm struggling for you. But this time the word comes from uh, the athletic games. So uh, imagine the athletic training, the sort of that sense of trying, uh, keeping on going, giving everything to attain something. So he's praying for them. He's bringing them before God. He can't go to them, but he's still totally invested in them. He's calling on God for them. And that throws up a really interesting uh, question for us. There's kind of like, who are we praying for is a good question. But also, is there anyone that we're really contending for 
in prayer. Imagine finishing a prayer meeting or a time of personal prayer. And if you get asked the question, how are you? You're like, I'm absolutely worn out. <laughs> I've really been going for it. I'm, I'm done. I need to go to bed. I've been praying so hard. This word, it sort of it speaks of such intensity and longevity. Prayer is both a marathon and a sprint. Let's always remember both as we continue to pray. And his goal is this beautiful phrase that they're encouraged in heart and united in love. United in love. That word united literally means knitted together. Anyone here do knitting? Hands up. Who does knitting? It's quite a few people. I've heard that knitting is actually quite cool again. It's quite cool to do knitting. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did knitting when, uh, when I was quite small, and it didn't go very well at all. But within this community, if there is gifting in knitting, then I'm completely open to uh, knitting. In fact, I could do with a new scarf if I'm being honest. I hope this isn't abusing the microphone or the position or anything. I could do with a, with a new scarf, blue and amber stripes. That's what I could do with. That's what I could do with because I've got one from something like 1989 that, if I'm honest, is looking a little bit tired now. If I get the wool, you'll do it. Perfect. That's the deal. You've got that on the internet. That's a public offer. Fantastic. That's sorted. I'll tell you what, should we get back to the Bible for a minute? <laughs> Just thinking where you can buy wool in Shrewsbury. But no, right, let's leave that to one side for now. Let's look at the flow. If we could have the next slide. Encouraged in heart and united in love. Having the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know Jesus better. Forget all this teaching that says there's more mystery to discover. The mystery has been revealed. It's already there. It's what we know about Jesus. There's nothing to add to it. That's why in verse 4 he says, don't let people with good sounding arguments lead you up the garden path. It's quite tempting to think, oh, there's something extra that we need to know and then we can gain this special knowledge. But if it's not about Jesus, if it's not all about Jesus, then they are deceiving people. And in this section, I can, as I read it, and I'm sure as you read it too, I can almost feel this like uh, relational warmth from Paul towards them, almost like a fatherhood. You know, I can't be with you, but I feel like I'm with you. I, I don't know you, but I feel like I know you because, because I pray for you and because my heart is that, is that things would go well with you and that you would hold on to this faith and you would grow in understanding of Christ and that you wouldn't be distracted and you wouldn't be discouraged by what these other people are saying. And I'm so happy to hear that you are holding on to the faith despite such obvious challenges to you. Encouraged in heart and united in love. This talks of community, not sort of lone rangers, but people who are being encouraged in their faith, and that's something that's bringing them 
together. And there's a couple of challenges in this as well because it seems to imply that it's really difficult to stay encouraged if there's disunity. And it's really difficult to be united if you're discouraged. I'll just say that again. It seems to imply that it's really difficult to stay encouraged if there is disunity. And it's really difficult to be united if you're discouraged. Unity and encouragement seem to go hand in hand and are are like the bedrock of a faith community. So it's so important that we continue to encourage each other and it's so important that we continue to sort out our differences and not allow them to fester. And the purpose they have is the full riches and the understanding of faith as they learn from each other, as they grow together, as they challenge each other, as their community is centered around Jesus. And this truth comes alive, both in what they understand, but actually in how they act towards one another, in what they learn from one another, in how they see God move in one another as they challenge each other. A community centered around the truth of Jesus. So often for one of us, uh, you might be sort of reading a scripture and then it really speaks to you in the day. And it's like those words just come alive to you in the day. And, and, and that's really meaningful. And then if you go and share it with a Christian friend and you tell them what God's done, then it really comes alive to them too. It's not just head knowledge that we're sharing. It isn't secret knowledge, but we're actually, as we allow the truth of God to work in our life and to influence and to shape us, and other people see what God's doing, we all grow through it. We all go deeper because we see what God is doing amongst us. And that's why uh, when we're in the life of the church, when we're in our friendship groups, when we're in the teams that we're in to serve, when we're in our midweek groups, they're all so important because it brings us together uh, and we can grow together because we can hear the sort of the questions, the challenges and the word coming alive to one another. You don't get any of that on your own. You also get an opportunity to hear other people's questions. And sometimes you learn more through other people's questions than you do from your own. We're experiencing this a little bit in our family at the moment because kids ask you all sorts of questions about faith. And some of those questions are really challenging me because I'm not entirely sure like how much I should say at, uh, at any given stage in the children's development. And some of their questions do really surprise and amuse me. Like Zach this week, who over dinner said, Daddy, will we rise again? And I said, if we put our faith in Jesus, then yes, we will rise again. And he said, and when we rise again, will I be the daddy? Enjoy the mummy, and you and mummy will be the children. I knew the answer was no, but it sounded like such a cool idea for a moment that I didn't want to... Anyway, as we have opportunity to ask our questions and to... uh, draw close to one another, actually 
those sorts of things become alive to us. So Paul is really urging them at this point to not settle for second best. The truth is coming alive within you, within your community. This hope of glory is it's stirring up inside you. It's so much better than this other teaching that you hear, which is so individualistic. It's so your own performance, your own secret knowledge. This is actually what God does when you're together. So he's not offering them like a a counter-argument or a different way of thinking. He's offering them Jesus himself inside them, within their community. And as I read those verses about true Christian community and what Paul's heart is for them, it does rather make me think, what is my expectation for church life? Are these my goals? Are these my focus? And so my second major sort of take-home for today, and there's no homework surrounding this one, you'll be relieved to know. How much of my Christian community actually looks and sounds like this? I have friends who are Christians, but when we get together, is this what we're talking about and what we're doing together? So in that, fr- in that sense, for me, do I have friends who are Christians or do I have Christian friendships? Does that make sense? Next time you spend time with your Christian friends, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to think about? Are we going to pray together? Are we going to encourage one another? Are we going to break bread? Are we going to speak truth into one another? Are we going to allow scripture to come alive amongst us? There's no criticism in that. I'm just asking myself that question. Of course it's fine to go and just watch the rugby without a Bible study this afternoon. But over the course of our friendships, you know what I'm saying. Are we being friends? Are we having friends who are Christians? Or do we have real Christian friends and real Christian community? And there's something that's so attractive about that. Let's not settle for second best in that either. So... Christ in you, the hope of glory, and true Christian community. We've barely covered the first chapter, and already Paul, in so many different ways, is challenging, is provoking, and is offering them a better alternative to what they have. Jesus, only Jesus, but all of Jesus, in a way that affects your personal walk and personal life, and in a way that affects your community, where you belong, and who you are as a people. I'd like to uh, finish now, and I'd like to conclude with a short video, which is a worship song inspired by uh, some of these verses. It's a song you might have heard of, a Tim Hughes song, and uh, actually let's just a moment of I'll, I'll pray before we watch it but just a moment of quiet reflection for us to allow the holy spirit to speak to us so lord we want to thank you for how rich your word is i want to thank you that there's about 17 talks in that first chapter even if we've managed to cram it into three but lord i pray that you'd help us 
for your word to come alive in our hearts. And you'd help us, Lord, to be a people, knowing Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we'd be a people who, who would explore true Christian community and know what it means to really be able to spur one another on into all truth. And would you help each and every one of us here this morning to reflect on what these things mean for us. Amen. Be my everything. Be my everything.